Sex with a Narcissist by Kimberly Ann Priest. The butterflies flutter by, brush against me softly. Ah, your softly fluttering lips, this tornado of wings and limbs. I do not have breath enough to circumvent this storm. There are too many of you for counting. In today's episode, we discuss how we write about harassment, rape, and sexual politics. A warning to listeners, we will be discussing sexual violence in this episode. Kimberly, a professor at Oklahoma Baptist University, recently published an excellent book of poetry entitled White Goat, Black Sheep that focuses on two sisters dealing with the aftermath of abuse. It is a familiar theme, a sadly familiar theme, but one that we must focus on if we are to achieve true cultural change. So let's get to it. Kristen Grace. Hey, Charles. Charles Martin. Hey, Charles Martin. So we're back after a long break. We shifted around the bookstore and that kind of got us behind, but we're back in the saddle with the kind of the episode that we've both been semi-dreading for a while, but one that we knew we were going to do eventually. Yeah. Uh, Sexual harassment. Yay. Mm. Not as fun as it might sound. Um... (laughs) Depending on when you listen to this, is probably the one that's most obvious is going to be Aziz Ansari's Modern Romance. Oh, so are we talking about that first? Or are we I think about we Aziz? need to. I think we need to get it, to get to get it on the other side of this. Okay, let's do it. Let's talk about it. So Aziz, okay, well, tell us about the book first. Okay, um, I, I enjoyed it, and uh, he was basically talking about. Um, how today adults have so so much more to choose from yeah as far as our partners go uh we have thousands and thousands and thousands of people to choose from to date to eventually marry if we want to do that um we have apps to help us find dating partners um the internet just blew it wide open as far as choices. We travel away to go to college. We travel away from home to work sometimes. We move all over the country. We move all over the world. Um, and he was talking about our grandparents and great-grandparents would, a lot of times, if they lived in a big city, they would marry the people in their building. Maybe marry the people on their street, on their block. And it's small towns maybe marry they would have just a few people in the town who were their age to choose from as far as a a marriage partner and they didn't have the acceptability of divorce that we have now so it's like you you married that person that was acceptable and in your age range and settle down and marry be married to that person for the rest of their life and they made it work now a lot of times, there were times when abuse was involved or whatever, that it was really sad. But for the most part, they made it work and they didn't expect to be in love with this person. They just wanted to make a life, you know, have some kids, raise them together, and that was it. Yeah, he did a, um, a tour as well where they just kind of went into 
both the humor, but also kind of a how-to of the modern dating scene. Now, the reason this is relevant is because he kind of got it embroiled in a... So basically, he had he uh, had what was claimed to be non-consensual sex, at the very least, uncomfortable sex with um, a woman that he had gone out on a date with. And there is a lot of back and forth now. Some people think that it's evidence of the Me Too movement going too far. Some people think that it's... But I think the reason I think it's a, needs to be talked about is I think it is evidence that it's further evidence that the way that men and women talk about sex is changing, is changing. Right. Um, and that we're starting to acknowledge to a deeper degree that we don't use the same, we don't use the same language. We don't hear the same things and we don't kind of perceive intimacy the same way and are bad at communicating it beyond between sexes. And maybe that, Aziz Ansari very likely never really perceived anything was necessarily going wrong. It was just maybe a hookup that wasn't that great. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that has got us talking about, which I think is helpful, is how do we better communicate to one another, set and respect boundaries. Right. So at any rate, we're going to still carry his book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's still a good book. Well, and yeah, I mean, if we don't carry, I mean, based on what we know, from having read both sides of it and the cultural discussion, if we're not going to carry Aziz's book because of what went down that we know of, we need to probably take out most of the books written by men. My point being, yeah. I feel like at some point in a, in a lot of our adult lives, we've been in situations where either we've been pressured to have sex at a time when we were uncomfortable with it, or maybe we have pressured someone to do something that they were uncomfortable with, mm -hmm. and we didn't communicate well in the situation. Mm -hmm. So what happened with Aziz didn't, wasn't rape. And she didn't say it was rape either. Right. She and it just it seemed was like kind of violating, coercive, and maybe yeah. violating. Yeah. But it's really important that we're having these discussions. But yeah, I, I don't think we're at a point where we need to be, mm -hmm. you know, blacklisting him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it just sounds like it just sounds like it was just a bad sexual encounter, and he wasn't as plugged in on the woman. Pun, very yeah. unintended. He wasn't he wasn't concentrating on her so much as he was just concentrating on himself. Kind of that's the sex with a, a narcissist yeah. poem that we had we right. had mentioned before, right. which is very much you know, he was trying to push the boundary and then in the midst of what was happening, he was so focused on himself, he wasn't paying attention to what was happening to her, which I mean to be fair, it's probably happened to all of us at least once or twice. Yeah.
any rate, so let's talk about books that deal with sexual harassment and sexual violence mm -hmm. in an enlightening way. So lead us off. Okay. I, um, I, I chose one of the books that we carry here in the shop and one of the books that I absolutely loved is Reading Lolita in Tehran. Um, by Azar Nafisi, and I heard her speak in Oklahoma. She actually did some graduate school at OU, um, and then I, I just got to hear her speak, and she's an incredible speaker, loves literature, feminist, amazing human being, but she was raised in Tehran, and she did some time there after she had graduated, and at that time, um, you know, all women had to wear burqas, head to toe, cover their faces in public, weren't allowed to be anywhere in public without a male relative. I mean, it was after the revolution, so a very, very difficult time for women. So she would make copies of the books, classic literature, Pride and Prejudice, some of these books, make copies of them on a copier, staple them together, and would have to carry them under her burqa for this group of women. And they were supposed to just be meeting to have coffee together. If they had been caught with these novels, because they'd been banned in Iran, if they'd been caught, they could have gone to jail, been tortured, maybe even killed for having them and spreading them. Um, and so reading these books through their eyes and their culture uh, was very fascinating, intelligent women, and so risking jail to read them. But when they read Lolita, um, they had some beautiful and interesting things to say. Um, there is a point where in the story, the narrator, the main character, Humbert, comes to pick Lolita up at summer camp. Her mother has died. He's kind of had a little bit to do with that. So now he has this young girl all to himself. And he is, in my, re there, there are people who will argue different things about the book. Um, I think she's like, she's 12 years old at this point. And Humbert says that she's in on it, she's a tease, she's a vixen, but basically he is sexually molesting her. So he's waiting for them to get her wherever she is in the summer camp, and he's looking at this butterfly that's been pinned up on the wall, and it's not quite dead yet. It's just kind of squirming there. It can't move much. And, of course, that's a metaphor for this child who... He's about to have, and she's got no escape now. Um, the, the author says, when I think of Lolita, I think of that half-alive butterfly pinned to the wall. The butterfly is not quite an obvious symbol, but it does suggest that Humbert fixes Lolita in the same manner that the butterfly is fixed. He wants her, a living, breathing human being, to become stationary, to give up her life for the still life he offers her in return. Lolita's image is forever associated in the minds of her readers with that of her jailer. Lolita on her own has no meaning. She can only come to life through her prison bars. The saddest part about the book is you don't really see anything about this child for herself. You're only seeing her through the eyes of this very sick pedophile. And so he makes her seem in some places like she is interested in a sexual relationship with him. But I think it is because we are reading it through the narrator who is very sick, you know? And so I don't, I don't know that I could read the book now that I have a daughter, you know, I read it a long time before she was born, but it's, 
very disturbing. And of course, Nemokov is an incredible writer. And so it's interesting to read. But for me, it's interesting to read because you're reading it through the eyes of a pedophile and you can still see what he's doing is so sick and twisted, Uh but without any kind of guilt or apology. And to me, that is kind of the interesting part of what's happening in the book. I was telling telling Charles before we started, I was dating someone once and he was telling me... um, that all women want to be objectified. And it reminded me of this part of the book because not to be, he wasn't talking about all women want to be seen as beautiful. That that's lovely. That's, that would be lovely. And I would have no problem with him saying that he was basically talking about being seen as objects with no interior life, with no personality or backstory. He like basically butterflies pinned to the board so that men could like place on them their own physical desires or whatever. I think we were talking about it around porn, um, the problems with porn. Um, I thought it was interesting to me that he could say that to me. Like he, a man was telling me a woman what all women want with also with no, humility about it at all or like oh that's kind of funny that I am telling her what all women want because anytime you say all women or all men or all you know all white people you know that's becomes a problem there's a book called uh, Sex Object by Jessica Valenti she has a point in that book so this is uh, it's a her talking about her own experience, both being objectified, but also dealing with um, various issues and and, um, traumas that she's had um, by um, deciding to become a a sex object by way of controlling if people were going to perceive her this way anyways, mm-hmm. then she became very sexually active, became very aware of the way that she was, the way she looked, the way that she perceived, being very engaging and very dangerous uh, sexual practices um, because there was a sense of control there, but also maybe a sense of inevitability. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're, you know, if you're in a car that's, you know, dropping down the side of a hill like you're still going to try and grab onto the steering wheel even if like you're out of control and that kind of seemed like what she was dealing with you know and and the book goes on for more for more than just that um but and it's entirely possible maybe he encountered a woman early on in his life that had decided that was just kind of the easiest way to deal with the world as she knew it. And because of that, he felt like he got a peek behind the curtain that behind that curtain represented everybody. Yeah. My, you know, my initial assessment of the female experience is, you know, 
based off, you know, the first women that I got to know very, very well. You know, first it's your mother and then it's your first girlfriend or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you have like a close friend growing up and they set the model. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I know that I definitely had generalities that I worked with for a very long time based off my first wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of the characters I write still kind of reflect a lot of that. But as I've got to know more women um, deeply, not yeah. necessarily intimately, but deeply, right. um, my ability to write women has broadened and to understand women has broadened. Right. I think, I think that's a good point. And I, the way I took it, cause you know, we're, we're having a discussion around some things that I, I think at that time we we're having discussions around things that I saw as problematic in culture. The way I took it, which may not have been entirely true. I felt like was his way of excusing mm. some things that men did. Or some things that were happening with men in the culture. Well, we're just doing this because this is what women want us to do. Yeah. You know, women want to be treated this way. Yeah. Women, there's no point in changing it because this is clearly this is what women want. You know. Yeah. Okay. So the the book that I was wanting to talk about. Yeah. I think you say is so it's John I believe Krakow. I think that's K R A K A U E R. And sorry for the banging <laughs> noise. We we're in a ever changing building. But Krakauer. the book Krakauer. Yeah. Yeah. So the book is Missoula, rape and the justice system in a college town. Mm-hmm. And this is a rough book. Yeah. Um, it's. It's really enlightening, mm-hmm. which makes it worth it. But um, going back to um, what you mentioned about the problems with porn, uh, but I think generally the problems with the culture that we've kind of inherited and mm-hmm. that the millennials are then inheriting from us right. is based, the male model and the dramatic situation is based around the idea that men are expected to be the aggressors. Uh, men are the ones that are first, they're supposed to call the women to ask the date. Right. It's not supposed to go the other way. Um, you know, it's the kind of the pepula pew, like right. we are meant to prance behind the women and try to, but we're just kind of prancing behind, yeah. you know, the skunk you just or not keep, the skunk, the cat. Yeah. Keep asking. Yeah. Ask and keep asking. And that's our role. Like, right. Um, you if know, she says no, we'll just keep going. Keep going, yeah. yeah. You'll wear her down. Yeah, it, you know, it's a it, and it's that's part of the dance. Yeah, there's a dance that's happening, and we see it in movies from you know, the, oh yeah, you know, the fifties, and we see it. You know, um, the idea that in high, every high school movie, that's always the asshole that gets the, that gets the girl. Yeah, um, and the it's so. My sister and I have talked about this too. Like the things that we are shown on in TV shows and movies. That the guy will do this, maybe he'll get rejected by the girl, or they'll break up, and the guy will will do this big romantic gesture. Yeah. And we'll talk about it later, and we'll laugh because we'll talk about like, can you imagine if you broke up with a guy? You know, you're trying to do it right. You don't want to hurt someone. You break up, and then he shows up in the middle of the night outside your window, like the guy in the movie we just watched, 
with this. Can you imagine how creepy and scared you would be? Like you, you broke up with this guy and then he does this. What in the movie looks like this big romantic gesture and she always takes him back. Yeah. You would be so scared. Yeah. Like that's stalking. That's yeah. call the cops. This guy's lost it. Yeah. But we're we're taught and guys are, are like, oh, well, this gets her. This gets yeah. her back. Yeah. This Por- oh, this will get her. Portraying women as you know just needing to be ravished. Right. Wooed. Um, woo her. But yeah. Yeah. In real life, that is it's frightening and weird. Yeah. You know. So um, there's this one story. So uh, Missoula talks about all these different cases. Um, where it's so it's based in Missoula, Montana, yeah. University of Montana, and uh, many of the cases where our men just don't understand the way women work, mm-hmm. and they assume that their own sexual like ideals are shared by the women. So there's one specific guy that had just been trying to lose his virginity, just trying, trying to lose his virginity. So now. So he finally goes home with this girl, goes back to her dorm room, and all he knows is what he's seen in sex, or in porn, rather. Right. And oh, it's God. very violent. Uh-huh. Um, and there's, we're not even going go into the details, but it's very bad because yeah. he's seen it. Yeah. He's seen it on video, and he's like, well, clearly that works because there's evidence not realizing that there's a lot of prep that goes into the things that they do. Um, you know, and then there was just blood everywhere and it was horrific yeah um and after the event he probably honestly believed well that went swimmingly right not thinking um not thinking that well that's just not how sex really works um so and then they also have that idea that like we're just supposed to aggress 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 so no doesn't mean no Mm -hmm. um and he didn't only stopped whenever she basically just pushed him off Mm -hmm. and just bolted um it's 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 like a negotiation rather than a hard line like going into the uh, you know the car dealership and saying well we're just looking into the car dealer that's like Oh, so you're going to buy a car. Right. Now I just have to figure out the angle. Right. So, and it gets into more disturbing stuff than that, but mm-hmm. that one's that, that one is definitely one that just seemed to pop out as being like m- men and women are not coming into their sexual um, beings with the same set of information. Right. It's two different uh, sets of information and kind of empathy uh, for the experience of the other person is not there on either side. And because of that, they don't know how to communicate. Yeah. Um, that, you know, women don't understand that men just need firm boundaries. Right. Like, you know, you just need to stay in this pen. Right. And guys are not all guys, but we generally, that's how we operate. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, right. that's kind of the culture that we grow up in. It's very boundary based. Everyone is coming at it in different ways. So trying to figure out how to communicate better. Yeah. So the discord doesn't happen. And that guy, no idea what he was doing. And a lot of, you know, as he's in sorry, maybe it's the same way. Like he's yeah. like, oh, well, this is going so well right now. Right. And he right. didn't, wasn't understanding the ver- visual cues and the verbal cues she was giving him. It's like, no, this is totally not going well. Yeah. With that story too, like with, I wonder like with that, with Grace, her, her alias was Grace, like with the Z's. I kind of wonder what was happening if, this may be, we can edit this out if this doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. But 
you know, with her and why didn't she just leave? I wonder if she was excited to be on a date with Aziz. She didn't want to have sex, but maybe she still wanted to hang out and try to talk. Maybe spend time with him. Right. You know? I'm, she didn't want to be a fling. She, she wanted, wanted to, like, try and yeah, build something. She wanted to try to have a one-night stand. Maybe she still wanted to hang out and talk. It's Aziz. And, but she couldn't get him to stop, you know? So I could see why she wasn't just going to run it. Mean, I, I think she was like, maybe I can just get him to calm down and we can hang out for a little bit longer. And yeah, maybe, and then maybe somewhere down the road right, we can we can get to that. But Right. He's just, you know, in a hurry to get this over and done and I'm just going to be a one-night stand and it'd be cool if he really liked me, you yeah. know? But it, I, can, I can almost see how she was thinking that it just didn't, you know... Uh, anyway, well, I and there was a passage in Missoula that was Missoula was it Missoula? Maybe it was a different book that I was reading. Yeah, I had talked because it was from the female. It was a woman talking about how it can be difficult because, um, in her perspective, like going into situations like this, she doesn't even really know from one moment to moment, like yeah. really what she's I mean, like. Am I really wanting to have sex? Am I yeah. not wanting to have sex? Like you're, it's not like you go into the night thinking, okay, I'm definitely banging this dude. Right. I mean, maybe sometimes you are, but right. like in, um, she was saying that in a lot of situations she's going, she's like, uh, maybe I want to kiss him, maybe I don't. Yeah. And it's really in the moment. Right. Um, yeah. And so guys kind of see that too. And they're like, okay, well, it's just, so I just got to say the right thing and do the right thing because... Mm-hmm. At least for me, like whenever I was dating, like if I want like the decision to have sex with a woman, like was arrived before I asked her out. Yeah. Like it's like if I if I don't want to have sex with you, I don't want to go out and date. Right. With you. Right. And that's not the right. only reason you hang out or right. go on dates. But like if the situation arrives, I, I've already decided I'm going to take it. Right. Because it's not I, you know, it, it's weird growing up in church too. Because church made it always sound like, and especially as adults, I mean, it was like, well, you're not going to want to have sex when you're married. It was like, a, you know, like women don't like sex. Oof. Yeah. I mean, that was the narrative. And like men, and they really want to have sex and you're not going to want to. And I was like, I don't, who is giving out this narrative? Girls like sex too. Like, I don't know that it's, like with the same it's different for everyone but I don't know it's like it's not like well I want to have sex with that guy so I'll date him like what you were saying it's not like that but women enjoy sex too but I don't you know it was weird in church the way they made it sound you know like do your husband a favor and every once in a while have sex with him it's like that's so strange yeah from the male perspective I think we also don't have the same kind of worst case scenarios that women do. I mean, yeah. if you get a chick pregnant, you're both pregnant. Yeah. But you're not both really pregnant. Right. Because the guy can always leave. That's absolutely right. So yeah. um, I could absolutely. absolutely see how women would just, even just from an instinctual, right. be more cautious about. It's like, it's not, do I want to have sex with this guy? It's like, do I want to risk having a kid with this guy? Or just having having a kid. Yeah, we're having a kid, period. With anyone. Yeah. No, no, I don't. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's more to there's more to risk. Yeah. Yeah.
Okay, so what's your next one? Okay, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about um, these two books. I've brief Interviews with Hideous Men by David Foster Wallace, and which I think is done really well. Uh -huh. um, David Foster Wallace is writing in all, it's a book of short stories and short pieces. Almost every one of them is from the male perspective. And the reason why, obviously a lot of these, not all of them, but a lot of them are, are men talking hideously about women. The reason why this is encouraging to me, that's a weird book to say it's well done and it's encouraging to me as a woman, is because I feel like um, I hear men sometimes talking about women this way, but I don't hear men being self-aware very often about it, right? Like even from the time I was like 10 or 11 years old, I would hear men uh, like older guys on the bus talking about women this way or guys in the locker you know like people around me and it continuing on through life men talking about the ways they would try to manipulate women into having sex with them or um things that they would do to women or how that they would objectify women i mean it gets really some of these pieces are really awful yeah but it's like he's saying i've done it I participated in these conversations. I've talked about women this way. I've heard it, and I know how ugly it is. It's like he's self-aware enough about it, and he's like, I'm telling on all of us. By writing it down and putting it out there, I'm telling on all of us. Yeah. And I'm doing it in such a way that like everyone can hear how ugly it is. Yeah. And it made me feel like I have a big brother out yeah. there. Yeah. Like, here's the script. Really good, really good stuff. So I appreciate that. Brief interviews with hideous men. And a lot of it's funny, like really funny. There's a guy who, um, one of the guys in the book has a an arm, born with an arm deformity, very short, small arm. And he's talking about how he uses the arm to get women to have sex with him at bars because they feel sorry for him. And that he's, he has this whole, it's like a four-page He's talking and talking and all the, how he uses it to get women to come home with him. And they're disgusted by him because they know he's manipulating him, but they can't come out and call him on it because yeah. he cries. And it's just long. Anyway, they're funny. They're funny. Yeah. But like he's, he's clearly saying, yeah, we're awful. Yeah. We're awful. Me too. Anyway, it's wonderful. Then um, I want to talk about the book Cutting for Stone. This is a novel by Abraham Verghese. Verghese. Um, we'll put it up on the we'll put it up on the website so you can see it. We're going to carry it too. I want to say first of all, this book, the way it's written, is incredible. The writing is beautiful, and it's about a doctor. And the parts that he writes about, there's some medical and surgical procedures. The writing is gorgeous. Like, I can't imagine writing the way he does that makes it so interesting. You can visualize everything. It's beautiful. And the main character has a twin brother. Um, it talks about their relationship, some of the politics. It's beautiful. But it has, it's not 
very long. It's a short scene. There is a sex scene in the book that to me is a rape scene. And it's one of the most disturbing rape scenes I've ever read because it's a lot like reading, it's a lot like Lolita. You are, the narrator has sex with a woman. She's completely powerless. She's horribly sick. She's so sick she can't go to the bathroom by herself. She has nowhere to go, no money, no food, nothing. And he basically forces himself on her. And the way he writes it, he doesn't think that he's raping her. He doesn't think that he's doing anything wrong. And it's, it's really disturbing. And I, I read it with some other people, and I think they were so caught up in liking the narrator and reading it from his point of view, they didn't realize until we talked about it that it was a rape scene. And that was really disturbing for me as well. some of these things that I've read, um, perspective, point of view, voice, when we hear some of the stories that we do in the media, the account is always colored by who's telling the story. Um, when we read Grace's account of what happened, and then we read Aziz's apology, and then we read this thought piece on it in the Atlantic, and then we read someone else's take on it and how it should have been covered or handled in the media like point of view is so important uh -huh. did you read margaret atwood's op-ed this no, week no. okay i read it um and it was kind of her her take on the movement she she says that you know she's being called a bad feminist um she talks about things have become or a witch hunt yeah you know it was a um, in France, they just had like a number of um, notable celebrities and whatever kind of sign this kind of, hey, let's slow our roll kind of thing that they think has gone too far. Uh -huh. um, but they're also from a generation that fought really hard for sexual liberation. Right. And they're afraid that this is going to roll it back. And obviously, if, mm -hmm. if you read Handmaid's Tale, yeah. like that's a theme that's kind of part in that, that sex needs to be controlled and isolated. Right. So like rolling back women's ability to freely, you know, right. I can, well, I go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, uh, it's interesting because, you know, she was talking about some of these things and there needed to be facts and proof and, a, you know, court of law. And she did admit, she was saying, you know, the reason we're having this movement right now, the Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement, is because the courts, the courts have failed women for so long. And mm -hmm. that's why this is happening. And I think, you know, the one of the problems is that in these cases, like sexual harassment, um, violation, molestation, and even rape, Sometimes it's hard to find proof if it's yeah. happening. If something's happening between two people in private, yeah. it can be very, very hard to prove anything. Yeah, and you've got two case, two well, cases, two accounts, and ultimately you're trying to prove consent mm -hmm. or the lack of consent. Right, and that's difficult. It, it can be very yeah. difficult. Right. 
I, well, one of the responses to it that I, that I read had talked about the need um, to start focusing on the ability to communicate and understand consent from a very, very young ed, age. Yeah. So, like, sexual education would not start at 16. Right. But it would start in preschool. And you yeah. wouldn't, obviously, you wouldn't be discussing sex itself, but you would be discussing the ideas of respecting boundaries right. and, um, like, having games that uh, try and encourage and strengthen the culture of consent and if you have that in place then everything else follows right um and a lot of the issues that men have is inability to understand um the lack of consent and why that why that exists Mm -hmm. like i mean we're we're trying to spread our seed as far and as wide as possible yeah especially when you're young yeah. And you're just blasted with all these hormones and you just want to get laid. Because so much of our sense of identity is based around that, our ability to to uh, win women. Yeah. Um, and so you're a young kid trying to prove yourself to the tribe by doing what's expected of men by having sex with as many women as possible. And you just can't do it. And that frustration builds, you know, and... You know, you get tired of being said no to. Mm-hmm. And you don't understand why people are saying no. Yeah. Like, so maybe the one from Missoula, the kid that was from, you know, in that book, he, if he just knew how to deal, how to just basically foster a relationship with this girl. Yeah. Um, and how to behave around the girl. He was in. Yeah. Like, he was in. She was, she wanted to have some sort of physical connection to him, probably have sex with him at some point. Yeah. He just didn't know what to do. He didn't have that tool. Nobody get nobody had told him, okay, well, if you're going, once you're at this point, this is, you know, these are ways to kind of understand what the woman is thinking. And just because you think you might get it once and it doesn't happen, as long as you play it cool, you're absolutely getting another shot. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't have to have the night up. And so it turned in, it's, it turned into rape because he did not understand women. It wasn't because he was demented or a bad person. It was just because he just simply was ill-equipped to deal with that situation. Nobody was equipped. And so like Game of Thrones has been criticized for doing the same things like okay stories losing momentum all right let's rape somebody yeah and this so that became a short you know shorthand for like we gotta get this we got it we need oh, yeah. blood boiling well and the the problem is too if you start noticing like tv shows like excellent tv shows but how many of them start with somebody like a, it's always like a young girl gets raped and murdered even even if it's before the show starts, it always starts with the rape and murder of a young girl. Mm-hmm. And that's Twin Peaks. A girl got raped and murdered. And that's what the whole show... That has to happen for the whole show to take place. That's mm-hmm. where the action begins. And like if you start looking for that, it's like a third of what we watch has to begin with someone's rape mm-hmm. and murder. 
and it's or like you said with Game of Thrones well we gotta we gotta make this more exciting the the plots kind of dying down we're losing viewers let's get somebody raped I mean it's sad that we that that becomes like something that gains viewers or the interest or the you know it's like well we're just doing this for to drive the plot forward or now on the show's credit it seems like there are way less sexual violence now now that they've kind of gotten it seems like the storytelling has gotten much more interesting and they're able to create tension without having to go to back to that same well well was it the fourth season lost a ton of viewers are we talking about game of thrones yeah yeah, fourth season, like people, I I didn't watch the whole fourth season. There was I was just like I'm done. Just too much. Then I went back. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of people. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure there's probably still there's still some, but it really because it they had this um, pattern where it was like intrigue, mm-hmm. dick joke. <laughs> rape somebody dies yeah and it's just those four elements mm-hmm. every like and they would just they would repeat those four elements over and over and over yeah. and over again but um i don't know if just the writers started finally catching there or maybe they just brought in better writers but the storytelling is much more complex now yeah so you yeah you you can go almost an entire episode without a lame dick joke right I mean, not an entire episode, but almost an entire episode. Right. And that's way better than it was before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, My Absolute Darling by Gabriel Talent. Yeah. That is a book that deals with rape quite a bit. Yeah. So why is it, what makes him good at writing about it in a way that's not off-putting or too much? Okay. Well, for some people, it will be off-putting and too much. Yeah. I mean, there should be a trigger warning on that book, but I loved it. It was the best book I read last year. First of all, you're getting the story. Um, the protagonist is the girl. The protagonist is the 14-year-old. Um, so I think that helps. Um, she is also, it's a fight for her survival. And it has more to do with what's happening in her mind. Um, her father is emotionally abusing her too. Like she's completely manipulated and she knows she's going to have to get out of there or die. And so her fight is to get out of the situation and to get free from her father. So it's not just about, it's almost like the rape and the sexual abuse it's just one element of what's happening to her, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like she as a character is, she's so smart and so strong. Um, you truly love her and you truly want to see her get free and you want her to do it somehow on her own if she can. Yeah. And so it, that is, that is what the story is about. Yeah. So the abuse is there and you know, it's there, yeah. but it's not like, the whole book is about her being raped, you know? Yeah. Cause the, it's more a, in the various story modes, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even see it, say it's a man versus man kind of conflict. It's man versus self because she's yes. totally capable of getting out of that situation yeah. from day one. Yeah. From like the first entry of it, you're like, just go to the cops. Right. Like, and, 
Yeah, I mean, you can prove it. Like right. everything happening in there is absolutely disturbing. Right. Like you can do this, but she doesn't believe she can do it. So the the book is right. more about the battle with herself. And she thinks, and she's like, and if I leave. My dad will die if I leave, and she or loves. The, or he will find her. He'll find and her and kill her. her. I mean, and everybody around her. There is so much happening with her and the relationship with her dad. She's got to figure it out. Yeah. You know. And then there's multiple chances where she could just kill him. Yeah. That she has those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So it, the book is about her emotional journey of going from somebody who feels like she has zero agency in her life. Mm-hmm. But yet she's still very capable. She's always presented as very, very competent Mm -hmm. versus the two teenagers who become her best friends who are completely not competent, but hilariously so. Those those guys were wonderful. I love those guys. So it's basically about her trying to battle back that her father's voice in her head to realize that she's she's better than he is Mm -hmm. and always has been. Yeah. Like not just better like morally, but better like just more competent. Mm-hmm. She's a better survivalist than he'll ever be. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that book so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. But yeah, for sure. Big, big old trigger points. Again, I mean we've we've covered the female of the species before, but I'll just mention it again okay. really quick. Because I you know, I the female of the species is YA. It is it is dark though. I wouldn't give it to a young um, teenager. Um, like a, what, what's a good age range? I I'd really say Six, 16, sixteen and up because it begins again. It's one of those books that starts with the rape and murder of a girl, a young teenage girl, but it's about her younger sister. Yeah. Who has decided she's going to get revenge? The courts failed. Um, even though everyone knows who did it, who raped and murdered her sister, they just didn't have enough evidence to put him away. So he gets away with it. So she decides she's going to kill him. Yeah. And she she gets away with it. She does it. And she gets away with it. So the book starts after all of that has happened. Yeah. She's The sister's dead. The court failed. She killed the killer and now she's just trying to live her life and it's basically about you know she had this revenge plan this revenge fantasy she made it come true and now what that is doing to her and to her community because she's in high school now what what would that do yeah and um it is beautifully written um mindy mcginnis is the author and she she wrote the hell out of that book i was really impressed with it yeah and uh, one of the characters is Christian, and so it, there's some theological questions that are handled very intelligently and sensitively. It's not a, it's not an easy preachy book. It was very beautiful the way it was handled. I was yeah. very impressed with it. Um, so the one, the book that we mentioned at the outset, Kim, Kimberly Ann Priest's uh, White Goat, Black Sheep. Um, it and as well as Angela Paglia's One, mm-hmm. um, another yes. book of poetry. They kind of handle really well the um, extended scarring yes. of dealing of dealing with um, of dealing with abuse. And I, what's interesting about both of those is it's not they don't really look directly at the act so much as they 
it focuses on the way that you perceive the world after. Yes. How it changes forever, how you perceive, perceive the world, even if it doesn't happen directly to you. Angie's poetry is stunning. And I, I've just read the beginning of Kimberly Ann Priest's book, but I, I love what I've read so far. And then Angie's poetry is on fire. It is amazing. Talking about, about that, about how after this stuff happens and it changes the way you see the world, um, have you watched any of Tig Notaro's show, One Mississippi? No. I've, I've, it's I've so read, good. I've read her book. Yeah. I, we have her book. Um, well, we may need to reorder it. Yeah, it's, we need to reorder it. Um, I watched her show on Amazon, um, One Mississippi. I'm through season one, and I've started season two. It's excellent. Yeah. And... Um, she talks a little bit about being molested as a child um, through her, like her step grandfather, and being angry with her parents for not protecting her and not doing enough about it to protect her. And you know, her as even as a grown up, she, she tried to talk about it. You know, and her her dad is like, "Get over it. Is this was twenty years ago? Get over it." And like the. The point is, like, you don't you don't get over it because yeah. it it's the scars and it changes you and it changes the way you see the world. There's no mm-hmm. getting over it. Yeah, you know? your entire perception of sex yeah. is altered. I mean, and because people, you just received people, a lot yeah. of new information mm-hmm. that will forever color. Yeah, like you know how you have sex, the kind of people that you have sex with, kinds of people that like the way that you interact with people of your gender, the way you react with, interact with people of the opposite gender, like, it affects all of that. Okay, hey, let's, let's do a writing prompt that's not about this, but it's about something happening. That's a good idea. (laughs) Okay, so writing prompt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay so okay come on tell Charles us, tell us the, write us the funniest stupid joke you know that's good email it to me at charles, charles at literatipressok.com <laughs> or hit us on twitter at, at literatipressok or uh, just literatipress same thing for instagram the stupidest yes. funniest joke you know cause we need to hear them <laughs> um and so, what are you reading right now? Oh my gosh. Okay, let me, I'll go ahead okay, and go you first. first. Okay, so I'm reading The Golden Legend by Nadim Aslam. Bad to pronouncing names. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 I think I'm right. So, this book is really interesting. It's set in Pakistan, and it is about, um, it's about, um, a community that is struggling with fanaticism. Uh, there is a guy who goes on to um, uh, the call for prayer. He will go on there and reveal secrets about people in the community, basically sins they've committed. Um, there, are, It focuses also on um, a Christian family within this community about the struggles they have and um, kind of the big action mover is whenever uh, 
um, a renowned architect is shot by an American ambassador who was trying to escape Pakistan with secrets. And the secrets and all that are completely irrelevant. They don't really come into anything. It's just the randomness of the violence. And so now this family who's dealing with grief is now embroiled in this international thing. Um, and you have, and they're having to deal with, uh, the imams coming in saying, don't take money from the Americans. Then the Pakistani government can take that money from the Americans. Uh, it's, it, it is a, like, like in the middle of the community view of, yeah, what you're going through whenever you're, you're living in a time and a place where, um, fanaticism of all kinds is yeah. just everywhere and you're just trying to be a normal person. Right. It's, it's cool. It's really, really good. Okay. I am, I've got like a whole stack of books on my bedside table that I'm in the middle of, but I'm also going to start another one today. <laughs> I'm really excited about Born by Jeff Vandermeer. Yeah, it's such a cool cover. Yes. He's, they're, they're talking about a lot lately, like on NPR, there's kind of a new strange fiction. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not really fantasy. It's not really sci-fi. It's like something else. And they're calling it strange fiction. And mm -hmm. he's one of the, the main writers of that. And so I'm really excited about that one. So I'm going to start start that one today. Ooh, hold on, hold on. Okay, yeah, Let yeah. Let me grab this book because I totally forgot the name of it. But yeah, okay. it's strange it's a comic. It's strange. Uh, it's a strange fiction thing too. Art Ooh. Ops. A R T O P S. Hey, what's up, Patrick? Hey. Uh, it's by Sean, Simon, Michael Alred, Matt Brundage, and Laura Alred, and it's about a special forces group that is trying to protect um, art work because all art's actually alive, and everybody in an art piece is actually a real life, real living person. Oh, that and good. they're getting kidnapped. It is bizarre, but okay. it's still fantastic. So anyways, so that's another thing I'm reading. Um, and I think that's it. Okay. Thank, thank you so much, listeners. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day.